everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I am here with Dylan Shore, and we are going to talk about Event Horizon. Dylan, do you need eyes to see where we are going? Uh, I would like eyes because I don't want to go someplace that's described as hell <laughs> and not be able to see. Hell is just a word. Hell, that's right. Hell is just a word. It's much worse. It's pure evil that what's on the other side of that fucking thing. We're going to talk about all of the mechanics and machinery and machinations of this plot and all so much more. But before we do, anything else you want to talk about? What have you seen? <clears throat> I mainly have some rewatches, but uh, let's start. Yeah, I'll start with rewatches. Uh, the Friends of Eddie Coyle. I had not seen it in many years. Uh, bought the Blu-ray on Criterion. Dope movie. I honestly don't think I had seen the whole movie for some reason, because a lot of it, maybe I had just seen scenes. But uh, it's Peter Boyle. Um, uh, uh, oh, my God. Robert, uh, from Night of the Hunter. Uh, Mitchum? Robert, Robert Mitchum, Mitchum, yeah. Yeah, Robert Mitchum. Uh, it's so good. It's just a great 1970s crime movie in Boston that is like guerrilla style. It's so good. It's uh, it's great. That's all I want to say about it. I loved it. Way to bring the love of 70s cinema to the podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, and then, because we talked about it <laughs> last week, uh, with bringing up Baz Luhrmann so I rewatched Great Gatsby okay and I do like I said in the last one like I have a lot of issues with Gatsby I do like it and I still feel the same way I like a lot of it but I really don't like the modern day soundtrack it like just takes me out of the movie a hundred percent fair enough uh, yeah, that's probably my biggest issue with it. Other than that, like the visual scale, the acting in some scenes is not great. But it, that, that, that's fine, though, because it, it's kind of melodramatic in a way. So I went with like it, that, 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 that doesn't bother me that much. Sure. It's mainly the soundtrack. Yeah, it's definitely doing a real chippy thing, but I think it is sort of commiserate with the, the time period, the performances. I mean, the soundtrack is a little harder to justify in the way that like, Romeo and Juliet is doing entirely its own thing. It feels like it takes place on this planet in a different universe. And so, you know, Moulin Rouge has kind of a similar energy, at least. That, that's a big problem with me for Moulin Rouge, too. The songs that he chooses. I like a lot of Moulin Rouge, but certain songs they do. Ooh, you could cut them for me and just give me the movie. Fair enough. Uh, but, uh... I'd like for me, like where Romeo and Juliet, it feels like that was not an afterthought for the music. Like he's like, I want to do this with modern day music for Great Gatsby. I think he actually had like an orchestral score. And while watching the movie, he was like, I, this doesn't work. We need to do something different. And I think that's the afterthought of bringing in modern day music. But I could be wrong on that. I could be wrong. I would have no idea. I'm not actually Boz Lerman. I didn't make that decision. True, true. Um, and then <clears throat> I'm only bringing this one up 
uh, it's the Missouri Breaks. Have you heard of it? It's a 70s okay. film with Jack Nicholson and uh, Marlon Brando. Okay. Uh, it's great. It's really good. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because there are shots in this movie of Jack Nicholson where you look just like him. I was tripping. I'm like, dude, he's looking like fucking Kyle right now. What is going on? <laughs> I will have to watch it. I don't know what to yeah. say. Uh, he's a, uh, him and his group. It's uh, Jack Nicholson and Randy Quaid and uh, Harry Dean Stanton. They're a group of cattle wrestlers and <laughs> they're hiding out. Uh, because obviously there's people after them for stealing cattle, but they're trying to hide who they are. And Marlon Brando is an Irish, I repeat Irish, he holds an accent throughout this whole movie and it's very funny, but it's not bad. It's just funny. <laughs> and I also heard he, uh, but he's like a bounty hunter. He's trying to find these men. And um, uh, <laughs> he, I, I was reading facts that the director could not get Brando to follow the script. So he, at one, like early on in filming, he was just like, fuck it, say what you want. And there, there was just like one scene, like it, it feels still very structured. Like it didn't seem like Brando really strayed far from the script, but there was one scene where he's in a bathtub and he farts and I was like, that's just Brando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's just brando the, that's just the brando. world's greatest actor apparently yep uh and then the new one i watched was nomadland uh francis mcdormand's new film right on there uh, thoroughly enjoyed it like you've seen stories like this plenty of times but this is like this it's i'm trying to say the right word like it's not a the craziest of stories you've seen it before but it's well worth the watch mm -hmm. uh, I, I and, said something super pretentious the other day uh, that is not worth repeating so here i go but uh, <laughs> it was in relation to a movie that i'll talk about here which is that it's it's nothing new and yet it's really well executed it's great pretty much what i just said <laughs> And but because it reaches this level of greatness, it almost becomes new in its expression. Oh. Yeah. You know, it can only be great if it's doing something new, even if it the thing that it's doing new is just being very good. At, you know, I, I don't have a... It's a terrible, terrible point to make. But, um, but I kind of feel that about Nomadland. Like, um, you, you've seen the story many times. It's wonderfully acted it's well shot it has that nomadic feeling of a free moving camera and uh you can't beat Frances McDormand like she's she's one of the greatest <laughs> that yeah no you certainly can she definitely and is what the movie actually does really well is not like fully giving you her backstory right away okay it, like there's one moment where she's going through a storage locker and she pulls out a jacket and you're like obviously her husband has passed that's that's his jacket and like you keep moving on with the story and then like halfway through the movie a little later on you start learning more about her past and I was like that's solid like don't give us everything up front and I think that's what they did really well kudos to them I'm looking forward to watching it I have a copy here so 
it's next up. I feel like that's been a pattern for us the last few weeks. And I'll actually get into a movie that you talked about last week that I caught up with in the interim <laughs> as well. Do it. Uh, well, my last one is just WandaVision. And I know we're both going to talk about that. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I thoroughly like what they're doing with it. I love it. Um, this last episode, spoiler alert, sorry, going to get into it. I actually was hoping that it, when she says, I'm just going to take a me day. And I thought it was going to just be Wanda and like her kind of living in her guilt almost, or like her, her, uh, not her guilt, her, uh, uh, grieving, like her grieving, her grievance. Okay. Um, but then it, it didn't do that. Obviously that was fine. And I started going with it. And then what they do with Catherine Hahn at the end of the story, I was like, oh, wait, so is it Wanda actually doing this or all along? Yeah, it's Catherine Hahn all along. <laughs> all along, baby. Uh, and I had to look up Agatha, whatever that up, character. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on the last name, but she is a huge character in the uh, Scarlet Witch universe. So okay, I was like, oh, cool. Well, here we go. Let's uh, see what they're doing now. I mean, let me just be the most recent person to shout the praises of Catherine Hahn at every turn. I'm, she's one of those people that no matter what I'm watching, when she pops on screen, I'm just like, oh, Catherine Hahn is here. Let's watch this. Guys, everybody look, it's Catherine Hahn. Yep. So I'm really, Same. I don't give, I, you know, I'm really enjoying WandaVision also. It might be one of my favorite it's probably my favorite MCU property because I'm a huge, you know, I was raised by the television. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved what, I loved every bit of the 50s TV stuff that they're doing. I thought it worked so well. And even but, still, it works very well. I think it's um, a, just a total blast. You know, I could maybe nitpick it a little bit, but I won't. It's Yeah, of course. It's so much fucking fun. And so my point in all of this is that I'm not an MCU stan. When such and such a person gets their role in the MCU, they become a superhero. I generally am like, I okay, you know, great. And for whatever reason, I'm like, Catherine Hahn's gonna be an MCU superhero. Great, yeah. yes, more. Say, um, uh, I, I was also reading a theory that the fake commercials that are in the show are the <laughs> like versions of the infinity stone and, oh great that's I, I don't understand it but i was yeah. like okay uh, I, that's that seems interesting i don't we'll see if that's real that complete <laughs> nonsense to me i mean i yeah. know that the, i know what the infinity stones are i don't but whatever <laughs> you know it'll be fun to watch all that stuff come together definitely i think there's two more episodes of it i think there's nine maybe we'll find out won't we yeah um all right well is it time I, for event horizon <laughs> no i got a few i've got a few i'm going to talk about i also okay, watched thank god movies. thank god, god i was like yes. i can't end on wandavision no we're no we're definitely not i'm going to jump back to um a movie that i was talking about in terms of like oh it's everything you've seen before but it's all new and then it's like that makes it not what oh, you've seen before yes so uh, it was a first time view for me. I caught up with Lost in Translation. First time view. Very first time I had ever seen this movie. 
And I think it's like one of the great films, man. It's so, so, so good. I kind of loved every moment of it. I was really, really taken with it. Oh yeah, man. I'm right there with you. Uh, see, I wonder if what you had said, like, it's not new, but it's like if what it's doing makes it feel new. Like that, you saying that, I wonder if you had seen it when it came out, if you're like, this is very fresh and of the, like, yeah. it felt very of the moment. It, it, it does feel a bit of a time capsule, but it doesn't feel lost. It doesn't feel like a period piece or outmoded at all. It, it feels Not at timeless. All. Yeah, totally. No, it didn't to me. It, I really was sort of, like I said, swept away with it. I, I just think it's um, a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Yeah, she captured uh, Tokyo really well in that. I've never been, but like I feel like I've been just the way she captured it on film. Dude, was... I don't want to be that that douche bro that's been to Tokyo one time talking about how magical it is and how wonderfully she captured it, but I will be because it just, it's, I mean, it's the coolest fucking city on earth and it's the biggest city on earth, maybe not, but it's one of, if not the top two or three. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just is a wild ass town and the way she shoots it makes it feel incredibly alive the way that it is but also so serene and it, it uh, yeah no serene's a great word it's very uh like it feels like a dream like uh you're just wandering through the city with these people going to karaoke clubs or going to his work and like even just him being at work you're just sitting there watching him and you hear the foreign voices off camera and you're just getting his reaction. Like you are immersed in this scene just by her locking off the camera on him. Yeah. <laughs> Is that really, all he said? <laughs> it really gives Bill Murray a chance to shine in those moments. Like you said that, no, I feel like he's saying more. Okay, I'll just go with this. Cause his performance is excellent. He gets uh, such an incredible moment to be a movie star, you know, like that, the scene where he golfs is really fucking cool. And like mm -hmm. I said, it's got that great locked off camera that so much of the movie does. But the, the stuff that really stood out to me is the way that she shoots the architecture and some of the neighborhoods and areas of the city that aren't the most commonly photographed areas of that part of the world. I, uh, while we're on Bill Murray, have you seen the documentary about Bill Murray? I don't think so, no. Oh man, it's it's super. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, maybe. But it's a uh, you've heard all those wild stories. Like Bill Murray showed up at my party and he fucking jinked right. out on the drums. Right. These are all those stories put into real context with footage, and uh, and they also go into like directors and actors trying to get how you get a hold of Bill Murray to be in your movie because he doesn't have a phone. So he has a number where you call and it goes straight to a voicemail. And if he listens to your voicemail and gives you a call back, he'll give you a call back. If not, keep trying to call. <laughs> this is famously how he ended up in the Garfield movies, right? Uh, well, he jokes, uh, he obviously got, he did that for money. Like they paid him an ungodly <laughs> amount of money. And he's like, yeah, fuck it. I will be the voice of Garfield. But he jokes that he saw written by Ethan Cohen. Right and on. it's really written by um, 
like uh eaten cohen or something like that it was just like he just described it as a random mix-up but highly doubt that i think he took it for money (laughs) (laughs) i don't blame him dude who he was bill mur like he was huge in two that whenever that fucking came out and they were probably like we'll give you a 10 million dollars to uh voice this cat come in for a day 10 two days a million dollars or 10 million dollars yeah i'm I'm there there's no saying no to that i mean that for me at this point in my life i can't imagine saying no to 10 million dollars for one day of voiceover work right that was just a random poll don't know if it was 10 million don't quote me (laughs) i'm pretty sure he made a hundred million dollars for 30 seconds of voiceover work oh what's next on your list i caught up with judas and the black messiah that movie so good so good so good i am a revolutionary (laughs) yeah i daniel kulia is like you know gonna win all of the oscars and i hope lakeith stanfield starts winning some oscars too and damn jesse plemons is so good in that movie the entire cast is pretty great there's a little martin sheeny for me but <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, aiming it up there with all those prostates <laughs> he's doing a bit of a makeup thing isn't he yep definitely but man beyond that i really dug so much what was happening in that movie right there with you no argument right on um how about okay let's do it <laughs> in descending order because i also watched uh, palm springs which i thought was really good i yeah i've seen it a few times i i really liked it it's very funny yeah very very funny and i i like uh of the i feel like there's a thing going around right like somebody got the note to do time loop shit and now we have to watch 20 of them so yeah I'm, like like you ahead. were saying it's not it's not new but it it makes an old idea feel new for uh, with how they present you that movie yeah and they give you a few things to chew on that other of these movies don't and it it hits a little heavy at times but it's at least doing something with it you know i think i think it works all the way i love the scene when he goes to jk simmons's house yeah backyard it's such a great like it's funny but it's also emotional like it's a great see i love that movie (laughs) yeah no it's great it's i mean it's sort of the thesis of the movie and the payoff of the like recycling bin damn i i like it an awful lot good yes so then the last one i'll talk about before we get into event horizon is another (laughs) 90s classic of similar repute i don't know that's probably i hope that's not true have you seen Dragonheart? not since i was a kid dude that movie is a comedy question mark dot 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 it's kind of a kid's movie yeah i guess that's like i was about 30 minutes into the movie and dennis quaid is taking like a face full of branches going down a slide and i was like oh oh that's the movie i'm watching i didn't yeah, I remember uh, was not at Blockbuster for this one, was at Hollywood Video, another video store in Reading. And 
I remember <laughs> seeing the dragon VHS cover, like with the dragon flying over silhouetted, and I was like, huh, dad, let's get this one. And I remember my dad not liking it whatsoever and like left the room. And I remember watching it and didn't care for it, but like I have not seen it since that moment. <laughs> yeah, don't. I mean, it's uh, it's real weird. I mean, I chalk it mostly up to direction because it does not have any idea what it's trying to be. For the first half hour, I was like, oh, it's shocking how much of a failure this is for a prestige picture. And then, like I said, some stuff starts happening and I'm like, oh, it's shocking how much of a failure this is for a kid's comedy. Yeah. What is this thing? Who is it for? And there's, I, I don't want to trash it too much, but it's deserves the reputation that it has. That movie is uh, not good at all. And very strange, <laughs> very strange, man. If Dennis Quaid's in it, it's got to be strange. I mean, he's done some very strange things that are, you know, not the worst. True. That's very true. He's definitely great in some movies, but he's also not good in a lot of movies. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's all I'm going to say on the matter. Let's move on to a much better movie, Event Horizon. All right. So this was new for you first time? No, I had seen it as a kid and was not the biggest fan of it as a kid. I remember certain things of it as a kid, especially Sam Neill uh, being all cut up and no eyes. Remember that? <laughs> I think I didn't like it as a kid because Sam Neill, no dinosaurs, didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just joking uh, no backgrounds i can't fault you the the, the logic is unimpeachable this movie has sam neo but it does not have dinosaurs nope no dinosaurs therefore not not the best sam neo movie so that's categorically true yes um but i definitely had a lot of fun with this movie from the moment that fucking techno orchestra score starts with the credits rolling. I'm like, oh shit, this is this is kind of dope. Where are we going with this? <laughs> and then I just want to uh, repeat the opening text because they are very funny. Uh, 2015, first permanent colony established on moon. 2032, commercial mining begins on Mars. 2040, Deep Space Research Vessel Event Horizon launched to explore boundaries of solar system. She disappears without trace beyond the eighth planet, Neptune. It is the worst space disaster on record. 2047, now. Now. I do love the now. Yeah, the now is the best part. (laughs) There's too much business. There's too much crawl there because it's this is we should say like a blatant if they fucking colonize the moon and there's mining on Mars. You never go there. You talk about Mars briefly when he's like, Can we at least go to Mars? There's girls there. <laughs> That's all I remember them talking about it. But still, it's just jibber jabber for your backstory, I guess, to get you into the event horizon. <laughs> And but that's interesting enough on its face. Look, the in 2047, the event horizon goes out on this deep space exploration shit. It's experimental, fucking disappears. Flash forward to now. 
hey guys, we gotta check out this ghost ship. I'm yeah. on board. I'm that on board. Said, I am on board. This movie yep. rips. Uh, yeah, this movie's crazy violent. Like, love the violence in it. It's uh, first, let's just get into what I don't like so that we can just talk about the good. Okay. Uh, the script is really you why you're wrong to dislike these things. Go ahead. The dialogue is super weak, and I think the the two your two leads, Lawrence and Sam, give weak performances too. They're not like strong. They're not really good, but it's suitable for this cheesy sci-fi movie. But like, they if they would have just like, I don't know. I guess it's on the director and writer too for like. Uh, you know, getting the performance he wants out of them. And if that's what he wanted, that's what he got. And it worked for the movie. But like, I would love to see some like devoted acting from those two in those roles. Counterpoint, Sam Neill tears out his eyeballs. Come on, he- Okay, <laughs> listen, my actual counterpoint, my counterpoint to both of those is actually the director, Paul, now W.S. Anderson. And- yes he's i think he's a super awesome genre filmmaker and yeah, the he performances does. are one note nobody has anything more than one note to play that's what we're doing here though and but like the story has so much more for them like uh i'm uh what's her name uh uh got it right here uh uh jolie richardson who plays uh stark the the girl the blonde girl right uh like they give her so much story with her kid and uh within the hallucinations and all that uh oh, that's not her that's um oh, is that not her did i look up the wrong one yeah kathleen quinlan has the child has the kid. yeah line. yeah kathleen quinlan falls Ooh. off the fucking thing sorry my bad yeah uh that death was nuts her fucking body <laughs> breaking. Oh my God. I was like, ah! Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Uh, but like they give her so much backstory in the script. I, like the performances needed to be more than just that one note for me. But like still, I, I'm not like hating on it because I would totally rewatch this movie in a heartbeat with other people. Like it's a fun site, like much better than Stargate. Stargate is like really to me does not deserve the higher praise than what event or horizon has even horizon was so much cooler so many crazy things just came out of your mouth i have to yeah i know you love stargate back some things up okay i want to talk about the one note performances specifically and remind you that this is a 90 minute movie <laughs> yeah no i know i know i know but like one you can add more to your performance than just being one note. But like, like I'm saying, that's not on the actors. Right. There, so there's nothing, the script doesn't have anything beyond the one note for them. Okay. And okay. what you have here are actors that can deliver intensity. Like this is basically <laughs> a lineup of I, the kind of rote comparison is Tom Cruise. This is every performer here can give you intensity and most of them can give you a little bit of comedy because this thing is schlock, right? Yeah. And that's 
what they're doing through and through. So like from the moment, I had a, a brief question where I was like, oh, why is Lawrence Fishburne's captain chair like the only chair? Why does it spin so slowly? And there's literally a scene where he's doing this while talking and he just keeps turning and then everyone kind of walks off and then it stops and he gets up and walks off. I'm like, why did you not just get out of your chair? <laughs> why did you wait for it to spin 180 degrees? <laughs> there are several points in the movie where his, his command is actively hampered by this device. It would be much more efficient for him to just walk from point A to point B or turn his shoulders when he's talking to one person or another. <laughs> too funny. Oh, man. Yeah, that was very, very That's funny. <laughs> the movie with the floating arm captain chair and Sam no, it doesn't float. It hangs from the top. It hangs yeah. from the top and like is on a spindle. Okay, so that's just one thing that Contact ripped off from this movie. Let me talk to you about some other. Contact was before this, wasn't it? I might have been. I think it's like '96. Now I, I need to look it up. I think it might be 95. It's 97. This is also oh, 97, here. right? Okay. So the real answer is that Paul Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson was looting the prop closet <laughs> on the studio. Oh, lot. was there. like, oh, bro, we can, hey, hey, get this thing, get this thing. Well, they shot this, they shot Event Horizon in Europe. So, uh, Contact, I believe, was all here in Los Angeles. I'm sure it was. Um, Just saying. Contact is a Zemeckis? Yes. Fun fact about Contact, the satellite that they built for that movie, the fucking big satellite, Cable Guy ended up using that same satellite for the end of their movie. <laughs> fun fact. Yeah, great little fun fact. Because it calls to mind Jim Carrey flailing his arms about with his belly all wet and slippery. It's delightful. Yeah. So good. <laughs> um, okay, Event Horizon. So I, but I do want to, uh, again, def defend the performances. Like, Lawrence Fishburne has exactly one thing to do here, which is like, tell you to shut up and then turn around and listen to you. Yes. And slowly it's an impossible thing to do, and it's a really hard thing to do over and over and over again. And that's fair. And I'm not trying to like. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of dialogue scenes, but they all work. Like I'm not trying to like hate on it. They get you through the movie quick, and there's plenty of action in between all that dialogue and violence going on. Uh, I do. <laughs> one part that dialogue is going on. There's also this incredible set deco, set decoration. So <laughs> like they're walking through this twisting razor blade of, I don't know, bikes yeah, the, the hallway the thing. corridor that gets you down, yeah. Unbelievable, or even there's like a, um, <laughs> the CD that they pull out to start getting data off of is just like a bay of car stereo cd players from the late 90s or early well obviously the late 90s oh man dude it's uh, delightful it has such a perfect kind of a b movie energy and i think everybody here knows they're making a b movie yeah. and it just it's 
one of the great B movies of all time. It's a perfect kind of after midnight programmer, man. It, this movie is so much drive. fun. It'd be a fun drive-in movie. Like, Definitely. Pair it up with a good double feature and having uh, something with it. Uh, what contact. would you pair? What would a contact? Contact would <laughs> be a double feature with this one. Jurassic Park, if you wanted to do a Sam Neill double feature. Mm-hmm. Or, ooh, is what's another a New Jack City? Is that the one with Lawrence Fishburne? No, that's Wesley Snipes. And yeah, you're right. What's the one with Lawrence Fishburne? Um, and uh, King of New York. Oh yeah, walking. That'd be a fun one for sure. Oh man, yeah, that's. Well, there's got to be another Paul W.S. Anderson one we can pair it up with from the 90s. You know, I mean, it would take patience on behalf of the audience. Like, it's not for everybody, but I would honestly, I would program Aliens and Aliens and Event Horizon right on top of each other. Because this thing is aliens, just instead of the alien coming onto the ship, they get dragged into the hellscape of the Mm -hmm. monster verse, you know, whatever that thing is. That is a good one. I'd say you pair it with Alien 4 Resurrection. <laughs> you got to put two bad ones together. Kind of like a grindhouse midnight double feature. Sure, sure. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking of this one. Because like Aliens is, I, I love Aliens, but I love Aliens the way that I love this movie. And Yeah, it's an action movie. Whereas the first one is a psychological thriller horror movie right and this one is like a psychological thriller horror action movie yeah yeah just done very campy it's just like a b movie uh the so there's like two moments that i laughed out loud with like the first one was uh when sam neil first sees the hallucination of his wife with no eyes and it cuts to him in a close-up and he's just like oh (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that that gave me a genuine laugh out loud moment okay but you know what's going on in that scene that's awesome it just is cribbing so hard from (laughs) the last half of this movie is sort of like watching the middle third of Kubrick's career as like a buzz reel. I'm telling you, bro. Okay, okay. Like, so when, first of all, he's dealing with the naked lady in the bathtub and Mm -hmm. she's coming back to haunt him and and telling him like, you got to come play with us forever. And then- when that's going down the scene you just described it's all green but he's climbing through the computer to pull out the computer panel of like the white space flashing to like i said it's green here but it's very much him doing battle with hal and then by the very end of it when like the full-on hellscape has come into this movie there's a scene in particular of the tanks where it's doing the dolly in and the the liquid splashes from like yellow yeah, yeah. to red from both totally. sides. That looked dope. That looked dope. And I was like, uh, you're, uh, you're right. Uh, Jesus Christ. That is totally the shine. Uh, the shine. Everything's the shining in this movie. There's an end 2001. And 2001. Yes. He's doing the shining. End 2001. That. That's really interesting. Yeah. Definitely the woman in the bat naked woman in the bathtub and the, uh, the blood that I know there's another one in there. Oh, Lawrence Fishburne's chair. 
Uh, the ship is coming alive and that they have to do battle with this entity that is possessed by a a dimensionality that they can't control they can't do battle with it in any physical sense because it's beyond their scale their scope the actual design of the event horizon dope looking ship awesome looking and the gravity drive thing is so flipping cool man so cool. and it's real like it, it's a fucking real <laughs> there's a line when uh the team when they first enter they find that room and sam neil and the girl are still on the ship and he goes they walk in he goes that's the core and they mm-hmm. all look at it and then he looks at her he's like that's the heart of the ship <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> it's the core it's got to be the heart (laughs) in 2001 stanley kubrick referred to the obelisk as the bdo the big dumb object and i i would argue that uh hitchcock's version of this is the MacGuffin. it's just the thing that makes the story go we just need something grandiose for us to behold and this thing's big dumb object is so Ooh. Yeah, and they do. They don't really try to explain how it tore this hole for it to to, to get the black hole. Like it, they just go with it. Like I was like, cool. Thank you for not trying to explain it. the scene of him explaining how a black hole works. I'm like, these people are on a spaceship. They have to know what a black hole is. <laughs> you don't gotta fucking explain it to them. But they're all acting like. Oh, what the fuck is a black hole? Yo, but then the there's the one guy who takes everything way too seriously, takes that moment way too seriously, and the whole crew laughs at him. And then we just move on with this movie because the movie knows exactly what movie we're in. And it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's full of really good filmmaking outside of even all the sort of homage and like punchy stuff. Um, I sort of, like I said, it clips along. It's 10 minutes yeah. in before like this thing is actually going, going, going. Yeah, and- literally, uh, I, I was like, oh, I wonder just how much is left. And I looked and literally said I had 30 minutes left. I was like, what the fuck? This movie is breezy. It brings it right through it. And it communicates a lot, man. Like even in that opening sequence, the, I don't know, it's a, like it's, it punches hard, but the razor blade at the throat and then the cut to the space station, it's solid yeah. filmmaking. And it's, yeah. I don't know, I like this movie a lot. I think it doesn't get enough love, even though it's, because uh, I've said it before, Paul Thomas, Paul W.S.A. Anderson is, I don't know, one of my favorite filmmakers, apparently. <laughs> I just like what he does, man. Uh, the second thing that made me laugh out loud was I had the subtitles on for the movie. And so when like it blacks out and it says the end, the song that starts playing is called funky shit by prodigy. And I was like, that, that wins. Like (laughs) you win, you win everything. If you put a credit song called funky shit at the end of your campy sci-fi movie. You win. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. And the song was kind of dope too. It was like this techno fucking orchestra kind of thing. Dude, 
it continues to win. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I'm just going to keep talking about how freaking great this is, unless you have a ton more. No, man, uh, literally, the, I, I said the things that bothered me about it, but uh, overall, that's like 25% of the movie. The rest is fucking excellent. It, not uh, obviously excellent for a B movie. It's, uh, it is I that. Think you mean perfect piece of cinema criterion collection uh Dude, if, if armageddon has a, a 90s criterion i don't understand why event horizon doesn't that's fucked up <laughs> end of statement yep <laughs> <laughs>